Welcome to Fried, the Burnout Podcast, Season 5. The goal of each Fried episode, whether you're an entrepreneur, parent, employee, or otherwise defined, is to create moments of spontaneous healing by ensuring that you feel seen, heard, connected to others, and validated. By doing this, Fried fulfills its mission to kill the shame, blame, and judgment associated with burning out, and Fried adds to its original goal of creating a movement to hashtag end burnout culture. Should you need a coach, Fried coaches are standing by to help guide you through recovery. Book a call anytime by visiting the links in the show notes. Should you need a speaker, you can hire me, Kate, and you can rest assured that your people will have fun and learn about burnout at the same time. In the meantime, I'm ready to give you this week's episode, which will help you heal just a little bit more, starting now. Hello, Fried fans. Welcome back to another episode of Fried the Burnout Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about divorce and PTSD and military and all sorts of amazing things that I think you really need to hear. We don't talk a lot about relationships on Fried the Burnout Podcast, but It is quite possible that we should because almost everyone I've ever worked with has talked about either a massive issue with a relationship sort of adding to a burnout or burnout causing a massive problem in a relationship. Both of those things are true. But today, instead of listening to me the whole time, you will be listening to my new friend, Martha Bodyfelt, who is a divorce recovery coach who helps divorced women overcome their loneliness and break free from the patterns keeping them stuck so they can feel fulfilled, have more fun, and live fearlessly. She is also a Cupid for women ready to be secure in a loving long-term relationship full of sparks. You know, I love the word spark. Martha has also served as an expert contributor to the Huffington Post, Elephant Journal, Psychology Today, and Thrive Global, where her advice has impacted over 10 million women. Martha, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. And I am such a fangirl of, of this show. I've been following it as long as it for as long as it's come out. So I'm kind of um, I'm a little bit giddy. I'm kind of like when somebody comes up and gets an Oscar speech and doesn't punch Chris Rock in the face. I'm keep <laughs> trying to keep it classy here. So I'm, I'm really excited to be here and share with the audience my um, I don't think it's a unique burnout story. I just think it's one that we don't really think about when we talk about burnout. So I, I can't wait to uh, to share that with with everyone. Yeah, I'm very excited. And like I said, there's we, we don't always talk about relationships on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And we definitely don't talk about uh, often about military service. Mm-hmm. But I have had multiple clients in the past who were coming out of the military and saying, I don't, I'm this crushed me. And now I don't know what to do with my mm-hmm. life. How do I figure this out? So when you wrote to me and we have some really special people in common, we do. <laughs> we shout, sure do. Shout out to Sumina. We love you. Um, and those things all sort of together, I looked and I said, you know, I, I when I choose a guest for the episodes with the number of requests that come in, I really, I go with my gut. And when I read something and it hits me, I think, okay, let's do this. And so here we are. And we're going to start fried, as you well know, like we start every guest episode of fried with your burnout story. So I'm going to back up, give you the stage and let's do this. Sure. Absolutely. So it is interesting because the arc is probably a lot 
longer than I think most of the burnout stories that that I've um that I've that I've listened to on this podcast. But let's diddly do diddly do like go back to like 2004. I am this kid who's just graduating from college. I had a poli sci degree from a fourth tier university in the United States. Really can't do anything with that. Um, besides like be a paper pusher on Capitol Hill. I did that for a semester in the Senate and it kind of took away my soul. And so I thought, you know what, let's, let's not do that. So I actually enlisted when I was living in Spain, I lived in Spain, my last year of university. And that's where I met my, um, my now ex-husband. So it was this international romance. It was intriguing. He was from Iran, but I was also already had signed up for the delayed entry program in the army to actually be an enlisted person. Although I had already graduated from college because I really wanted to go into military intelligence. I wanted to go into that field. And I come from the interior. I come from a family of of modest means in very rural America. And I had this mindset that if you wanted one of those fancy CIA jobs or defense jobs, you had to come from money and you had to graduate from Georgetown or something. So the back door, I thought in my little 21 year old brain was I'll join the military, I'll get a security clearance and it'll be great. And I will be a linguist. I'll be like Jason Bourne, but I'll call myself Jessica Bourne. Plus I have this hot foreign husband what could possibly go wrong? And that's what we always would say in the army that all plans are kind of put tests, like put to test, like on your first contact. And boy, did it ever, when we're saying contact, we're talking like shit hit the fan contact. And so there I am in my training, I'm at the defense language Institute and I am kind of navigating a security structure that is just not friendly to international couples. And so in addition to that, I am also navigating being a 23-year-old young woman in the Army in an institution that is just simply not, at the time, maybe they've made changes in the past 20 years, but was simply not friendly to women in the Army. And so that was a couple of things. I saw a lot of my really good friends getting sexually harassed, getting assaulted, bringing me in to kind of be, oh, uh, this is an alternate, you know, party to go and when I'm crying to the master sergeant that, you know, there's a sergeant who raped me and kind of bearing witness to that and having to be the one to file the sexual assault reports and things like that. That was, that was, I'm, I'm 23 and I'm just like, uh, what's going on. And then in addition to that, I was in a really bad training accident where I actually ended up my two, I think was my L5 and my L4 exploded in my back. And so I woke up one day, not really even being able to walk and having emergency surgery, all of that. In addition to the fact I had a young immigrant husband who is, was in kind of a conservative environment. And this was around the axis of evil. And this young man was Iranian and this was all going on our first year of marriage. And so I'm trying to do this army career, although they tell me, you know what, you've had this accident, you have these spinal issues, you're no good to us anymore, because it really is kind of the commodification of bodies. That's a whole other podcast. And so I'm dealing, I'm dealing with that, but I'm also trying to do my job as a linguist. I am trying to navigate the best I can as a, as a young wife with a young family. And 
I'm kind of on the survival mode and that's like the survival, you're just going through the motions. And I think most of our, you know, most of the audience can, can relate to that, that everything is just reactionary. My adrenaline is pumping the whole time. I'm running on like three hours of sleep because I still have my training requirements. I'm still having to answer to my commanding officers. I'm still trying to do my job as a, as a, as a translator while I'm still trying to navigate the immigration landscape for my husband and help shield him from the xenophobia and racism he is dealing as well as the sexism, frankly, as an army husband. And so I get medically discharged in, in 2007. And I think well, everything's good now. I'm no longer in the army. My husband now has his green card and we're good to go. Right. And so we moved to Washington, DC and I'm thinking, well, my life is going to be perfect now. I didn't think that I had to deal with anxiety because I didn't know what anxiety was, but all I knew is I was panicking at everything. I still to this day, and this is something I work out with my therapist. Whenever I hear a ping or a phone call, I have to set it on silent because I was just, there's that kind of trigger that to me, that was my first sergeant calling me at 4.30 in the fucking morning to go and answer to him. And it was just, you know, that, I mean, so there's that and not having kind of the maturity or the tools to explain to my husband at the time, I, I don't, something's wrong with me because unless like you've deployed to Iraq or Afghanistan at the time, there was this mentality that, oh, nothing's wrong with you. You're one of the lucky ones. Cause you got to sit your ass down in a, you know, in a, in a, in a chair. So there was no, no recognition of that time of any kind of secondary PTSD when you're being an advocate for other female soldiers who are sexually assaulted. There is no support if going through PTSD or anxiety, because in that culture, it's just suck it up. And I'm dealing from these long-term effects of having this emergency spine surgery where I couldn't even like go and take a shit by myself for 18 months, you know, being told that you should be paralyzed. Good luck ever walking again, kid. And dealing with that physical therapy for two years. And so when we get to Washington, DC, I take a defense job. And I think surely our entire life being on survival mode, everything's fine now because he's got the permanent residence. He can work and I'm going to be, I'm going to be fine because the only issue I was dealing with was being in the military. But then, so then became about five very hard years of actually being kind of in that military environment again, because I was working as a civilian, but in these very toxic, very kind of hyper-masculine, toxic masculinity jobs where I'm a young woman at the time, you know, I was in my mid twenties and late twenties, but it was no different. There was still the harassment. There was still the, well, Hey, little lady. And then thinking the whole time that there's something wrong with you, that you're doing something wrong because you are not being taken seriously. You are, you know, I had a master's at the time. I mean, I guess I still do. You know, I had a master's in counter fucking terrorism, you know, fluent in three languages and still not being taken seriously because, you know, I was, I was a young woman. And so that kind of confusion and that kind of self-loathing I ended up having, and I didn't have the words or the maturity or sophistication to put a name to that, I carried that home. So in the meantime, I'm trying to establish, I've been married about three or four years uh, by that time. I'm angry. I'm lashing out at my husband while he's dealing with his own PTSD from growing up in Iran. And so it was just kind of this kind of toxicity and we were lashing out at each other and fighting it with each other. And I realize now 
it was because we were both burned out that we had been, you know, our adrenal, you know, our adrenal system and things like that were just on overdrive for three or four years. And so we decide in a very kind of heartbreaking manner, we both come to this conclusion that neither one of us can get healthy being married to each other. And we're like, if we want to still be good friends, and quite frankly, if we don't want to both fucking take a bullet to our brains, like shit was real, we got a divorce. This is not, this is not sustainable. So in the meantime, then I'm now like the weirdo divorce woman, you know, where then I'm still in this toxic military environment as a, as a civilian where guys think, oh, because she's young, now we can hit on her. You know, she's divorced. Oh, now she's just some fallen, fallen woman. And so there's this whole Madonna complex going on. And in the meantime, I'm still being told you're not doing a great job. You know, you're, you know, of course we shouldn't have let women in this environment. You're not doing a good job. And then because I was a defense contractor, there'd be a lot of layoffs all the time. And so you're constantly looking over the shoulder. Is this the day that they're saying we didn't renew the contract? You're out of a job, pack your shit. You're out of here in 10, in 10 minutes. So I thought, in my very kind of naive, I had just turned 30. So this was a this was a little over 10 years ago. You know what? All I need to do, you know, my divorce is done. Um, I was really getting into relationships that I had no business being in because I thought, well, I have to make up for lost time. Oh, I was dating this person. Oh, and I, I want to fall in love, you know, and I was like thinking that, oh, just because a guy was sharing my bed, that meant that he liked me because I had like missed all that dating those lessons that a lot of young women get in their twenties because I was married at the time. And so I was going into these relationships, then getting dumped or getting ghosted and ghosting that term didn't exist, you know, like back in 2008, but getting ghosted. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to make all this go away. I am going to pack my shit in storage. I am going to quit my job. And I am going to go to Asia for four months because I thought I'll have. And although I was just not a fan of the Eat, Pray, Love book, that's a whole other podcast rant. I thought, you know what? That's just going to give me the reset I need. So I, I do I do it all. I quit my job. I do all that. I travel for four months. I met a lot of great people. I got dysentery in Vietnam. I got who knows how many UTIs like in, 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 in Turkey, you know, still trying to figure out how to say yeast infection, Paruski, like in Russian, you know, and so it was wonderful in that I met incredible people. I had incredible experiences, but four months later, I'm back in Washington, DC. I don't have a plan. And so I just go back to what I know, dating unavailable men, men who are emotionally unavailable, who are not treating me right. And in a job where hmm, now that I think of it, a lot of emotionally unavailable men who didn't treat their women right also were like in the defense sector. So Kate, it was about five years, six years of constantly getting laid off because the industry is very volatile is constantly not being taken care of even as I got older you know as 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 a woman and then then being in relationships that just did not serve me being with people that really liked me but I didn't like them because I thought they couldn't hurt me and just kind of one day it 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 came it came to a, a head kind of an asynchronous style with the relationships I said I'm just going to take time off. I can't fucking do this anymore. And so I kind of like lived that nun life for a while to, to kind of get my shit squared away. Um, and that tract was fortunately because I did that and I got the therapy I fucking needed. 
um, a couple years ago, I met and reconnected with this wonderful, wonderful person I knew from my past. And we got married two years ago. Uh, we just got married like last week, actually. We were together for two years. Um, so there was a happy ending on that. Thank you. And I like to joke. I'm like, well, I've had the starter husband. So I've made all the relationship mistakes. So I'm good. I'm good. You know, I'm. Um, and so but with the professional burnout, that still took a long time. And honestly, I'd love to say, well, I, and I remember posting this in the, uh, the burnout, the burnout group, just like a couple months ago that I was in another high stress, toxic job that was no longer military affiliated, but it was in the finance sector. And I was working economic sanctions and I had at the time for the past five years, I had been doing divorce coaching as like a side hustle. And I really loved that. And the work that I did working with incredible women, to me, that was kind of my stress relief. I wasn't in yoga. It was helping with these women, empowering them and helping them avoid the mistakes that I'd made, whether it was in love or divorce or whatnot. And so I'd had that going on the side. And that was honestly my refuge was helping these, these incredible women who crossed my path. But in the meantime, I'm in this, again, this very toxic job. I think I've probably had like 12 fucking jobs in 10 years. Like I'm not, since I left the army. I mean, I'm not even, I wish I was joking about that. But this other job I'd been in, I was working in sanctions and kind of Russian relations. And then Russia decided to invade Ukraine. And just that workflow and just that toxicity of, we don't give a shit if you're at a grandmother's funeral, you need to be online. I started to feel that panic and that kind of PTSD triggering that I hadn't felt since my, you know, my goddamn master sergeant was calling me at 4.30 in the morning. We need you here. What are you doing there? You know, we need you to write the statement that this girl had actually like not been assaulted, you know, and uh, it was so interesting because for about six months prior, I'd really been struggling with the decision, you know, do I leave this really high paying job? You know, I'm at almost like 200K, you know, I can buy my happiness. I can buy my when I knew that more and more the divorce coaching and the dating coaching was calling to me, but there's that, there's that ego that will know because I want to make that money and it might, it's going to be, you know, it might be a while before I recoup that. And so working with energy work and with human design folks and things like that, and even my therapist saying, your body's going to let you know when the time is ready. And I was like, well, well, I don't know what that means, though. But in one fucking weekend, <laughs> I started having that PTSD and that anxiety attack yet. And I'm like, well, it's ready. And so I, you know, within two days, I'd, I'd put in my I'd put in my notice. And so it is still kind of like when you're watching a car wreck that you had narrowly escaped from. And you're looking at that and you're watching the wreckage and your heart rate is trying to stabilize and you're trying to do the deep breaths and all that mindfulness breath work that frankly have never fucking worked for me. But I still feel like I'm looking at that. And honestly, my burnout recovery has been 100% immersing myself with the coaching work is becoming my own CEO is leaving that life behind me that I thought I was supposed to have that my, you know, parents were trying to raise my siblings that have a good paying job. So you don't have to worry about money and live a life of hopelessness in interior America and all of those narratives and walking away from that and building something from scratch now as my own, as my own CEO. And honestly, that has been 
now my burnout recovery has officially fucking started. Mm. And, you know, I guess that kind of leads us to where we are today. So I guess that's it. That is, that is my burnout story. It's like multiple, it's like, I don't know. It's kind of like inception where there's like multiple storylines going on and you're like, I don't, what, what what's going on? It's kind of like an Indian drama. Like what, who's, what's it's like side stories. It's like a telenovela, but for a big blonde white girl. So <laughs> that's where we are. And here we are today. <laughs> and here we are today. So the things that I think are, important are something actually that you said closer to the end I think is the most important I had to get away with like away from Mm -hmm. this definition of success that I inherited from my family that I actually tried to put into place for many 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 years Mm -hmm. until I realized I couldn't put it into place anymore. Now, this is a story Mm -hmm. that a lot of people on this podcast tell, but I want to bring it up again because it comes with success. Mm -hmm. It comes with clout. It comes with a certain level of importance. You're talking about jobs that most people are like, whoa, like that's a big job. Mm -hmm. You know, so all of these things that the power, the clout, you know, this, uh, all of it comes into play and you say, and you look and you say, wow, this is what I was told to do. It's not working. Mm-hmm. You luckily already had a side gig yeah, that was working on some level, whether it was working financially or not, separate conversation, but you knew it was working for you. Mm-hmm for your body, for your person. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a thing that so many people are missing in the burnout space because nobody wants to make a jump before they're sure if something will fit, especially Mm -hmm. when you're burnt out, you just don't have the power for it, but you don't know if something fits until you jump and try. Yeah. So what would you say to someone who is in the middle of that burnout and they don't have this sort of information coming in that this other thing feels better, what would you say to them? I think, right, because we we need to be logical as well that, you know, we're, we're probably most of your, you know, your audience, they might be in America or they might be in Canada or these other places where the cost of living and inflation is just creeping up at this exponential rate. And so there is something that I think if somebody is burning out, something I would advise them from a very kind of pragmatic, I'm in the, I was in the army, so I'm still very pragmatic that what kind of financial cushion can you, can, do you have for yourself? even if it's just three months of savings or six months of savings. And I was lucky because, you know, COVID had given me the time to just save a lot of money because usually I'm traveling everywhere all the time. And, um, but if somebody is really suffering from this, they will continue to do damage to their bodies if they just stay in that job. So I think from a very pragmatic point of view, get out as fast as you fucking can. And you can do that if you are able to save, have, if you can, you know, have like a, 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 even just a couple months worth of living expenses or run away from your house. And I'm not, I'm just half joking at this, but not really. And move to Ecuador where it's like $400 a month, but the longer 
And I understand a lot of people don't have that privilege that I had a side hustle. Um, I was splitting expenses with my, with my now spouse, but I think the best advice I can give is no job is going to love you back. Mm. It's, it's, it's an unrequited, it's like the worst form of unrequited love. And the more you try to fit it into your life and expect it to make you feel good and to give it the things that you need spiritually, emotionally, the greater the disappointment and the greater the disillusionment you're going to have, which is only going to, it's like a, we call it a force multiplier. That is always, that's only going to impact your burnout even more and more intensely. There will always be exactly, exactly. And so I think from a practical point of view, that very kind of logistical is save the money that you can. And if you can't, if you're still not comfortable with that, know that we have to look at this through abundance, because I think when we are, we have been programmed scarcity. Well, I I have to do this. I have to take this job because it's the only job that's going to have me. And it's the only one where I can make a living. And that's so not true. I think our work culture has programmed us and gaslighted us into thinking that we need that, that they're doing us the favor. It's almost like an abusive relationship was really fucked up. But I think that is my advice is know that there are other things for you and that there are other things that'll serve you better. And there are other things that aren't going to make you burn your candle at both ends and feel like you're screaming all the time or damage your relationships or things like that in your health your mental yeah. health, your physical health. So that is the, that is the um, kind of the advice that I would give is getting that extra strategy by getting kind of that, that financial cushion, if you can. Yeah. And I think that this is a, a big one for a lot of people, um, especially we're talking military and government employees mm-hmm. that have some sort of pension coming or some sort of, yeah. you know, not every job has that. So it doesn't oh, yeah. hold on to you as strongly, but when you have a pension coming and you're like, well, I'm, you know, I'm five years into a 10 year like system, mm-hmm. I might as well just do the next five years. Like those next five years could kill you. Yeah, exactly. And that's what we think of is, yeah, you could do those next five years, but, but at what cost? And what I mean by that is that, I don't know the exact statistics, but people as somebody who is, who is a, you know, divorce recovery coach and a dating coach now for divorced women, many of my clients who are former military spouses, that if you think about what will this next five years cost you, it could cost you your, your marriage. It could cost you never seeing your fucking kids again, because I have a lot of friends, a lot of guy friends. Cause I'm, you know, I am from an interior interior part of the United States where sometimes that is the only way out for, for, you know, yeah. for, for young men and one young women that they don't even see their kids again, because it was just, they were not given the proper tools to cope with their trauma and cope with the PTSD and cope with the anxiety. And so I'm not, a, I'm, I'm a coach, but I'm not, I'm not a psychologist, but I guess kind of my observation is that they then project that in ways that they, the only way they know how, which is through anger. And like, you know, if you're, if you're a wife with young kids, you're like, I'm not fucking staying in that I'm out. And so is that going to cost you your marriage? Is that going to cost you your seeing your children and seeing them grow up? But then also, is it going to cost you your health? Because that constant being on a state of alert in the military 
that is draining. The human body is not meant to be in survival mode for 24 hours a day for 10 years, for 20 years. So what's that really going to cost you? And as well as your mental health. Yeah. So, I mean, and the thing too is I think when these longer term jobs, because, you know, I'm in Washington, D.C., so I've got a lot of friends who are who are in the government as government civilians. And that's something as well is kind of gently reminding them that, yes, you have a pension, but guess what? Other jobs, you can invest in an index fund that could give you what that could give you what you need. You could have a 401k from a job that isn't going to fucking kill you and still be squared away. And I walked away from a pretty nice pension at the financial services place that I was working at. I was, um, I was, I was so close. It was as long as you were there for three years, you'd get this pension. And I, I was too much short of that. But for me, every single day was never one of these, Oh, I can just mark the mark it off my calendar and be good to go. Every single day I knew was a day that was going to jeopardize my engagement and my eventual marriage. It was going to jeopardize my mental health and my, my, my physical health. And I just, I played that game before. Yeah. And I was, I felt like I was in the exact role that I was when I was 24, 25 years old dealing with the shit in the army. And so really at what cost is it to you? And we have that scarcity mindset because I think our work culture tells us, no, we need you. No, you need us to pay that pension. You know what? The stock market sucks. You don't even know if your pension's going to be worth a damn. Yeah. So thinking about that, that putting yourself in abundance and not scarcity and understanding that you always have options. Your, your, your career will sometimes gaslight you into thinking that you don't, but you do. And that's the same with relationships too. Yeah. So that's what I was thinking now. Like you're, you were talking about, um, love in your job, like your job is never going to love you back. And I thought, well, isn't that a beautiful little segue that we can jump (laughs) on and use? What is it about people going through divorce that appeals to you? I think what appeals to me, and it's particularly women, because I um, I made the decision, kind of the uh, the uh, the CEO decision about a year ago to quit working with men. But what appeals to me about working with women, and I my clientele are women who have been divorced for a little while and feel stuck, and are still in that story. What appeals to me about that? especially with the group of women I work with. I work with women who are at midlife. I work with women who are, I like to call 50 and better. And I get so passionate about working with them because this is a sector of the population who I think frankly gets ignored and who frankly gets in a way just kind of attempted to get like erased. And I'm like, isn't that something that until you're 30 as a woman, you get commodified and you get objectified. But then once you're over 40, you get erased. And so what I just get so excited about, and I think one of the reasons, and I I don't know, I don't think I've ever thought about this, Kate, but (laughs) I remember what it felt like, especially when I was in the army to not, not have a voice and to be silenced and not taken seriously and just kind of be shushed because, because I I was the woman. And it was almost like, because I couldn't do a lot of the things that the men did, I, I no longer mattered. And sometimes I see some of that 
and I see kind of that parallel story in the women that I work with that they have grown up in an environment within societal messaging that told them you have to be the good girl. You have to get, I think a lot of us have, and I think you, you talk about this in your book too, that you have to be, you have to be the good girl. You have to get the straight A's. You have to be well-behaved. You have to be all these things. You have to be the perfect wife. You have to be the perfect mom. You have to be the perfect worker. You have to run the perfect household. And a lot of these women have done that. They have bent over backwards, pleasing everybody and they've upheld their end of the bargain. But then the divorce happens and there's this situation of like, well, I did everything that society told me to do. And, and here I am, you know, watching my, watching my ex-husband date somebody 20 years younger and I'm going to work. I'm doing well. People at work think I'm incredible, but I come home and I'm watching Bridgerton for the 15th fucking time. Okay. I actually like Bridgerton, but there's, so I. yeah, I mean, I, I love, I'm just, I'm just, you know, to me, that's, that's a treat, but yeah that I'm going home or I'm turning, I'm clap, you know, closing my laptop after I'm working from home and I'm lonely and I'm probably going to drink too much. I'm cause I'm feeling lonely and I'm probably not going to work out because I'm just going to sit in front of Netflix and get a headache and not go to bed until two and still wake up at six and feel terrible and feel like shit. And it is kind of this, I do see myself or I see the younger version of myself and the women that, that I, that I work with. And so I think what attracts me and just kind of speaks to me is my calling working with these women, especially as they get more confident and they want to find love again and they want to do it the right way is, I guess it's maybe, I don't know if this is self, I don't know if this is selfishness or not, but it's like, I don't want you guys the same mistakes I did. Cause it's almost like I made them as like a dopey 25 to 30 year old, but these women come to me and they say, Martha, I don't have 10 years to fuck around. You know, I, I feel like I'm running out of time. And so we do a lot of mind work with that mindset work, but I think that's what kind of attracts me is I think there might be, it is kind of like a, a very kind of protective older sister kind of situation where I want to shield you from this shit show because I know society and culture and misogyny and toxic masculinity has already shit on you enough. And that stops with me as your coach. So one of the words that you used was, um, shushed. Oh yeah. Shush. <laughs> shushed. And that's shushed. such a, it like hit me in the gut because it's, I I'm, if anybody doesn't know this by now, you might not have listened to fried long enough, but I'm a talker. Literally, I get paid to talk. I'm a professional mm -hmm. speaker. So this is literally how I how I uh, survive on this planet. I love to talk. And getting shushed. I don't know if there's anything that fucking irritates me more mm -hmm. than getting shushed. Mm -hmm. And what the picture that you just painted when I think about this woman who like just bent over backwards for her whole family, her kids, her partner, her job for, you know, 18 years mm -hmm. was shushed the whole damn time. Yeah. And now she has to learn how to speak again Yeah, for the first time, not even again, like for the first yeah. time, because mm -hmm. you were two when they started shushing you. Yeah. Because boys could yell, but girls, mm -hmm. not as much. Yeah, Although, you weren't being a good girl. Yeah. We did have screaming contests on my street, <laughs> which I don't know how the adults handled. That's fantastic. But I we think used to have screaming contests. That's... Like, who can scream the loudest? I don't know how we figured out who won. 
I'm into that. Like we played chicken, not with like, like 1957 Chevys, you know, not like yeah. that, like on Greece, like Grease Lightning. But I think the guys, it was always the guys, like the, the boys, they would play the game chicken, but with their bicycles. Yeah. It was just like kind of jousting if I think about it. Yeah. And all us girls, we'd just be like, you guys are idiots. Like, oh no, we played. <laughs> so I'm from the Northeast and we just played with the boys. Oh yeah, well, well, I, mean, like, we oh, did really? I mean, yeah. You think you're gonna play hockey without me? You think you're gonna play chicken without me? I'll play chicken. You you think I can't beat you in a race? Let's do this. <laughs> I That's was hilarious. so pissed. Yeah. I remember being so irritated when I got to around nine o'clock and I at nine o'clock, nine years old, and I wasn't able to beat the boys in races anymore. Yeah. I remember when that happened and being like, what the, what this happened? Is, what the hell? I want that testosterone too. Like, yeah. Like, <laughs> I remember being so mad about it. So you're basically, this is a similarity between our work, right? A lot of mm-hmm. burnout recovery is learning how to speak. Yeah. Your wants, needs, desires, and preferences into being and knowing that they're not always going to get met because no one's always get met. And that's right. fine. But none of them are getting met if nobody knows what they exactly are. So one of the biggest issues that I see with the way that we speak, not and not just women do this, everybody does this, the ways that we speak to each other is that we we hint. Mm-hmm. So we drop hints instead of saying things out loud. So my mother-in-law was visiting and she was um, packing her stuff to head to the airport. And she was walking upstairs saying to no one in particular that she usually likes to put like like bigger socks on, high socks on when she gets onto the plane, but mm. she doesn't have any clean ones. She was like speaking to the air. And I knew that she just wanted a pair of socks. Right. So... <laughs> You know, but you're instead of just saying, hey, Katie, can you give me a pair of socks like this Mm -hmm. woman bought my husband an apartment when he was 19? Like, I can give you a pair of socks like we're we're definitely still indebted to you. You know, like I'll I'll find some socks. And so, of course, I asked, well, would you like some socks? She's like, well, I don't want to take your socks. And so we have this whole back and forth about the socks. And I'm like and then I open the drawer and I say, I she doesn't use a lot of color in her wardrobe Mm. and I am all color in my wardrobe Mm -hmm. I said so find the most neutral ones you can whichever ones you want and just take them well I don't want to take the ones that you really like and I'm like now we've been talking about the socks for five minutes when literally you could have come up into my room taken a pair of socks said Katie I'm going to take these socks and I would have been like okay like we it's go maddening. Through, yeah. yeah and it costs what we don't understand about hinting is that most often nobody's going to pick up on the hint because no. you have to have another traumatized oversensitive woman in order to read your hints your yeah. your kids and your husband are not going to do it if truth your facts. spouse <laughs> i won't even say husband your spouse is probably not going to do it Mm-hmm. Right. So that's not going to work. So I see hinting as one of I've, I'm getting ready to write an episode on this, which may have come out before this episode comes out. But, mm-hmm. you know, uh, whatever. Scheduling yeah. and all that. Yeah. But this is I see this as such a big issue. If we could just say things straight, we would save all parties a ton of energy, even if the answer was I'm not going to give you a pair of socks. My husband could have given her a pair of socks. We still had time to go to the store for socks. Like there's so many solutions to this problem, but we had to play a seven minute game to get to the socks. 
Like it's, it's, it's waste. and you're like that's seven minutes of my life I can't get back. Yeah, like, and it's just and, and another it's three now yeah. talking about the socks. You know, I know, I know, right? But it's it is interesting because that is a lot of the work I do with my with my clients that they said. So there's 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 one who decided to date again, and she was just heartbroken when this, this, this man that she was seeing just does not want a long-term relationship. And I said, well, my darling, he is still married going through a divorce. So chances are, you know, and he said, well, he should not have led me on. And I had said, let me push back on that because I'll be honest with you. The word should is such a fucking trigger word for me me because it's just, it's maddening. And I, and I think for me, a gift that I did have growing up kind of in rural America, and I grew up in a big Catholic family. Um, so I love your kind of like your, your Massachusetts, like rural Massachusetts. And, um, so I grew up in a big Catholic family where it literally was, that person who spoke the loudest was the person who was going to get heard. Mm-hmm. And I remember my dad, God bless him. He would always say to us, he's like, don't beat around the bush. Don't beat around the bush. So I was very fortunate. And that might be like as an outlier as a woman that it was always being very direct. And I went to, I went through high school and I went to college on a debate scholarship. Mm-hmm. And so it was this very, you got to be direct. And, you know, the army did fuck me up in a lot of ways, but what it did do was teach me that you have to be, you have to be super direct. And as a linguist, I was a linguist. I speak a couple languages. There's no, there's no cognitive space for the hemming and we call it the hemming and hawing. And that is something that I, that is a gift I, I bring to my, to my clients who, yeah, they've been raised in this environment, regardless of what brought them to divorce or what brought them to finding love again. They were raised in this environment that, Oh, well, be, be, be almost, it just makes me laugh. Like be coquettish. Don't, don't speak too loudly that, Oh, you know, if, again, if you're being, if you're a good girl, then you'll get everything that you need. And I was like, well, until you don't. And it is that you have to be straightforward. And even my husband, he's, he's, um, he's, he might be, he's probably a little bit classier than I am. He grew up on the upper West side. So, but sometimes he'll dance around and I'm at the point that I, I can sense it now because I've seen my clients and the, you know, the years do do that as well. And I'm all like, get to the fucking point. And that's the thing I think with, with women, if, or if there's people, I think all people pleasers, um, recovering people pleasers or folks dealing with, with, um, with, with, uh, with burnout or, you know, women who are romantically burnt out, they're burnt from da- burnout from dating, they're burnt out from their marriage that didn't work. It's just, you have the right. And at this point, the responsibility to get to the fucking point and let people know what you want, because nobody's here to save you. Nobody but you is going to advocate for you unless you get a burnout coach or divorce recovery coach. <laughs> But if you start doing that, you have permission to, and you need to. And once you start getting to the point and actually saying what you want and what you expect, that is when that kind of that confidence and that sense of self-worth is going to start coming through to set up those boundaries and to stop that people pleasing. So what do you say to people who say, well, I don't want to sound like an asshole. I, I don't want to be a jerk. So I love to respond. My, my initial one is like, be an asshole, but assholes get the things done. But I don't say that was my, I know that was a very alpha male. I am an Aries moon. I'm a Leo sun, a Scorpio rising an Aries moon. So there's, there's, there's a lot of alpha energy that I think I have, but something I do kindly say in my coaching is, well, what are the reasons you're being an asshole in that situation? 
and they think, well, well, because I'm, 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 I'm putting my, I'm, I'm, I'm posing. I said, well, how are you imposing if you're going up to the gate agent just saying, I don't have a seat assignment yet? Would you mind giving me a seat assignment? Like, so what, when people say, I don't want to be an asshole, what I like to do with my clients is just kind of work through that, yeah. that, well, what are you doing in this situation? Well, why are you doing that? Oh, it's so you, you can get your driver's license issued so you can drive. Okay. Is it so that, you know, you can have some time to yourself? Is it because you actually, you actually earned that PTO? So you, so what are, what are the reasons you think that's an asshole? And so we kind of deconstruct that and they're like, well, you know, I guess I hadn't thought it that way, but it's always come to, I don't want to put anybody out. And it is this very, it is almost like, well, you're not putting anybody out because these are things that are your right. These are things you've earned. And sometimes there's kind of some Martha tough love. You don't need to be a martyr. You know, yeah. you, you're not, you know, you, you, you don't need to be a martyr because feeling like you're a martyr is going to continue to rob you of the joy and rob you of the rest and the recovery and the things that you need to continue to live this life and not die of a fucking heart attack when you're like 52. And the more you martyr, the more resentment you'll have mm-hmm. because you get stuck in this mode of like, I'm just going to save the world and I'm going to do everything that makes everybody else comfortable. And then you're not going to get the gratitude for it because nobody asked you to do it. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to get back the things that you give because you've taught people to not pay attention to you. Mm-hmm. You're the taker carer, not the taker carry. Yeah. Right. You set up all yeah. these like systems, these un the, the my favorite terminology for these are these unspoken agreements. Mm. We talk mm-hmm. about this a lot in corporate uh, workshops. Like if you're the person who always brings in the cupcakes for people's birthdays, every other person in your office has taken that off of their to-do list completely yeah. because you do it. Mm-hmm. It's an unspoken agreement. Nobody talked to me. A lot of times it's never discussed. Mm-hmm. It doesn't go around the office as a, you know, as a trade-off. Nope, nope. You're the person that comes in with the cupcakes. And for the first three years, you love coming in with the cupcakes because it makes yeah. you feel good. But as soon as you start getting resentful about it, it's time to pass it off. It's time to shift the schedule. It's time to change things because no one cares that you brought in the cupcakes for three years. Should they? Maybe. Right. But mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Because I think the thing is, and that's just kind of, it's just how insane our society is that once you start doing that, and even if you're doing that from, cause I was, I was the cupcake girl that back in. And the thing is at the time for shits and giggles, you know, ever the overachiever, when I was going through this, this, um, when I was in this defense contractor job, I was also going to pastry school. So every, every, you know, I would, I would go to pastry school after work. I wouldn't get home till midnight, but then Wednesday mornings, I would have kind of the spread of, you know, these are these homemade, you know, macarons or homemade, you know, souffles or whatnot. And then, um, once I just like, I, I failed a unit and I, failed like I failed some fancy French thing and I I just I don't show up with with my and these these guys I'm working with these retired army colonels and they're and they come over and they're like and they're just milling about because they're not getting the point either right but they're like hey so uh hey is uh you know anybody uh oh so and so already made the coffee and I'm like okay and they're like oh well it's it's, it's Wednesday I said yes 
oh well you know you usually you usually bring in and you know you usually bring in the you know the what you made at your pastry school and it was i was just that was like kind of the day it's like um, like, you know, like Jesus take the wheel. I say that in atheist, yeah. but I'm like, Jesus take the wheel because then I just, I was in, I had, was like in a discussion that week with my, with my divorce lawyer. And I just gotten ghosted by like the eighth guy that month. And I was just not having it. And so I just raised my voice and I'm all like, I'm not your fucking military housewife. Get your own <laughs> goddamn pastries. And like my boss He's, he was just kind of like this kind of like old school, like Italian, you know, kind of like guy. And he's like, um, Martha, uh, why don't you go take a walk? Um, and, and he had like, you know, he had like three like adult daughters and his mom, his, his wife was just like this powerhouse. She was, she was just this badass lady. And he's like, um, and you know what, um, just, just take the rest of the day off. It's fine. He's like, no, no, well, we put your hours in. It's fine. But, um, just, you know, just go take some time to yourself. <laughs> and, yeah. and you know what? nobody asked if I brought the pastries in again. And then like the week after, yeah, I brought them in. Cause like, I didn't want to eat them because I was an emotional, you know, yeah. that's what we do too. You know, we emotional, you know, emotional eater. And I brought it in cause it was, you know, the still, and do you see they're like these like little, like shy, like little mice. And I'm like, didn't you command some Helmon province thing like back in 2001? And you're like tiptoeing around and they're muffins. like, they're exactly, exactly they're tiptoeing for muffins. And, I was just, and they're like, no, you're not, you're not, you're not going to bite my head off. And I, I hit, and that phrase too, I'm like, well, you're not going to be a, you know, an entitled asshole. Are you? No. Well, then there's our unspoken agreement. Yeah. Um, well, and here's the thing I, I disagree with a little bit. It's like, you know, our society does this thing where they expect things. Well, no, that's how our communities have always been built. We're mm. designed to be in communities of less than 150 people. That's not yeah. how we live, but that's how we're designed. Mm -hmm. And when one person takes responsibility for something, it is the correct thing for everyone else to forget about it because we need mm -hmm. everybody to fulfill their role. Yeah. The question is, are you taking on more roles than belong to you? And are you taking on roles that you don't want to fulfill? And if that's what's happening, then there needs to be some conversation that happens so that the roles can be adjusted because this is the, we are really designed to, work together and we're not supposed to all have all the things in our heads. We, we women talk about mental load a lot. We carry the mental load of the yeah. household. We've been trained to do that for, but not everybody is supposed to carry the mental load. Like it, it's not efficient for two people to carry the mental load. So you might have to split the mental load up and yeah. say, well, I'm not going to think about these things because that's not, you know, like that's not on my, and you have, then you have to actually not do it. So I, I don't think that I think that there are definitely things wrong with how we treat each other, but I mm -hmm. don't think that everything is intentional, nor do I think that everything is actually wrong. Mm -hmm. I think that we have forgotten how we're supposed to function with one another. I think we've forgotten what it means to be together. And that really messes us up. Like, Especially, I think one of my, I've said this before on the podcast, but one of the top 10 American cultural values is independence. Yeah. Which goes against everything. I know that we're your programmed to do. Right? Yeah. Like we're not designed for that. Yeah. Uniqueness, maybe. 
you fulfill a particular role and you're meant to fulfill that role and somebody else is supposed to fulfill a different role. But if you're fulfilling too many roles and you're not allowing other people to fulfill roles in your life, Mm -hmm. you're setting yourself up for burnout. You're setting yourself up for resentment. Mm -hmm. You're setting yourself up for divorce. Absolutely. And I see that that is, that is a through line, unfortunately, in the women I work with that they were doing all the roles. They were the ones, they had the jobs, they were working outside the home, a lot of them making more money than, than, than their husbands, mm-hmm. but they were, they were the ones that were still taking care of the children, dropping them off at school, making sure they got to soccer practice and the orthodontist. Mm-hmm. But then they were the ones who were leading the team meeting and were the regional managers and were having to go to Scranton. You know, I just did it because I like the office, but like going to, you know, insert whatever mid-sized kind of kind of town or whatnot. But then they were also the wife and the mother and something that I would invite people who, who that resonates with is what are the roles that you really want for yourself? Amen. Amen. We are at the top of an hour already, which is wild because the time passes. Where the time so go? My quickly. goodness, I know it goes so fast. But I think that that is a perfect place to slow right down. Yeah. What roles do you want to do? Let's leave that question out there, and please feel free to jump into the Facebook group and let us know which roles you actually enjoy and that you don't mind doing, that you don't mind keeping, and that you don't need to give away. Because you'll be really amazed that everybody's are a little different. I decided not to have children because I can't play that role. I don't want to play that role. And neither does my husband. If my husband wanted to, maybe we would have done it. But neither Mm -hmm. of us want to play the parenting role all the time. So we're not playing. Right? Martha, somebody's listening to this and they're like, um, I need to hire her yesterday. Where do they find you? <laughs> Absolutely. So I think the first thing that you can do is book a discovery call with me. So go and head on over to MarthaBodyFelt.com. Completely phonetic name. They screwed it up at Ellis Island. Body felt's insane. But just M-A-R-T-H-A-B-O-D-Y-F-E-L-T.com. And from there, you can book a discovery call with me. And if you're feeling stuck with divorce and, and, or you are looking to find love again after divorce, let's, let's talk it out. And we'll, uh, we'll, we'll go from there and get you to where you deserve to be quite honestly. Last question. You said you will have a course coming up. Yes, absolutely. So besides the independent one-on-one work I do with women who feel stuck after divorce, I am actually launching in early September. It is my first group coaching program and it is called Ready for Love. And what this program is going to do is it is going to show women who are ready to date again and find love again, the exact steps to take and mindset shifts to have so they can find a secure, loving partner who continues to excite them. So definitely check out the MarthaBodyFelt.com webpage for that, as well as if you can't wait until that time, why don't you go ahead and take a look at my Facebook group? I do have a brand new Facebook group and that Facebook group is called Empowered Dating for Women. It's a free group. It's private. It's discreet. And you get all the good stuff in there while you wait to sign up for the group course. Amazing. Martha, thank you so much. Fried fam. I really do want you to spend some time thinking about how many roles you fulfill and how many of those you just don't want to or could be shifted in some way, shape or form. And and as per usual, that brings us back to the resentment journal. 
So don't forget that that exists and that's out there for you, but we'll be waiting for you in the group. I can't wait to hear what you got from this and I will see you next time. Bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.